worship you this morning, God. We're not thinking of whatever the enemy put on us. We are putting our trust in our love and our worship into you, God. We just pray over that this morning, God. We just thank you for the people that are gathered here this morning, God. I pray that your word goes forth and it penetrates hearts, Father. That we have good, fertile, deep soil. And we just thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Jesus. Yes, Lord. He is good. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, guys. Oh, praise you, God. Well, good morning, everyone. Did anybody blow away this week? Anybody blow away this morning? (laughs) I was looking forward to it. I had a really cute dress that I got yesterday from my friend Ashley's boutique, and I was going to wear it this morning, and then I woke up and heard the wind blowing, and Cody goes, that thing's going to blow over your head. (laughs) Okay, I'm changing. (laughs) I'm not wearing this. Uh, Well, if I haven't got to say hello to you, my name is Candace Lostro. And um, it's an honor to stand up here in this pulpit this morning. And um, it's an honor. I serve on the worship team. I help lead our women's ministry. And I just get to sit under such great, amazing pastors. And I love this church. Like, I love the people in this church. And I'm just so thankful to be here. But we are going to dive in to some scripture this morning. Um, I told Elise when I was giving her my scriptures, I was like, I may or may not read this whole thing, and it's a long one, but I feel like I need to read it to give the full scope, and I'm very sensitive to people that maybe have just come to the to the faith and maybe they haven't read these stories before. I have a good friend that she's just like, she's reading the Bible for the first time and she cracks me up because she calls me in the morning. She's like, Abraham was weird, Candace. Like he did this and he did that. Like what the heck is going on? And like, I mean, she's starting in Genesis and I'm like, yes, yes. (laughs) Uh, So anyways, I, I want to lay that foundation of where we're going today. So we're going to start in 2 Samuel, and we're starting in 2 Samuel 11, and we're going to start right in verse 1. And if you've been in church for a long time, you have most likely read this story. Um, And it is involving David, Bathsheba, and Uriah. And I'm just going to, I'm just going to go for it. We good? Are we ready? Are we, uh, did you find it in your Bible? Are we good to go? Okay. All right. So it happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him in all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing, and the the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman, and someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurities, and she returned to her house. And the woman conceived. So she sent and told David and said, I am with child. Then David sent to Joab saying, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah had come to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war prospered. Making small talk, I think. 
in my opinion. <laughs> um, sorry, that was my commentary. And David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah departed from the king's house and a gift of food from the king followed him. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his Lord and did not go down to his house. So when they told David saying Uriah did not go down to his house, David sent, said to Uriah, did you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? And Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are all dwelling in tents. And my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Then David said to Uriah, wait here today also and tomorrow and I will let you depart. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. Now when David called him, he ate and drank before him and he made him drunk. And then and at evening, he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his Lord, but he did not go down to his house. In the morning, it happened that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in that letter saying, set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retreat from him, that he may be struck down and die. So it was while Joab, Joab besieged the city that he assigned Uriah to a place where he knew there were valiant men. Then the men of the city came out and fought with Joab, and some of the people of the servants of David fell, and Uriah the Hittite died also. Then Joab sent and told David all these things concerning the war. I'm going to skip down just a little bit here to where, um, when so Bathsheba gets the message that Uriah has died. When the wife of Uriah heard Uriah, her husband was dead, she mourned for her husband. And when her mourning was over, David sent and brought her to this house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the king, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. So this story is a sad one. Like, if you want to talk about one that just totally, it wrecks my heart reading it, just knowing who David was to God, to the kingdom of God, and who David was, God called him a man after his own heart. I, I think back then that was probably one of the highest titles that God could lay on a human was that he, he's a man after my own heart. Um, but things, things did not go that way. Um, so just to back up a little bit, if, if I, like I said, my name's Candace. I am also a homeschool mom. So I've got two little girls um, I've got Odessa, who will be eight this Saturday, 16th, yep. And then Sheridan will turn 10, going on 18, 23, and something in July. <laughs> but as a homeschool mom, I like to break things down simple. And I, me and the girls were talking just the other day, and we were looking into different, we love history. We're total history nerds, all three of us. Cody too, I guess. We could throw you into that lot as well. <laughs> we love history. We love reading about history. And um, we love discussing history. And just getting into a little bit of learning about like the Roman Empire and the different empires that have happened in this earth, my little Odessa was like, well, what's an empire? And I was like, I don't know. It's like, you know, a ruler and a, pe a bunch of people he's ruling. And then I started thinking about it. I was just like, but then there's also a kingdom. 
well, what's the difference between an empire and a kingdom? So I dove into looking at what those two things are so I could explain it to my little girls. And God got a hold of me with that because we like to, in our world today, we like to throw around the terms of, well, kingdom, empire, we like to use them interchangeably a lot. And if you've been like, I don't know, social media, it was all about like a few years ago, it was like, um, I'm, I'm not married, I'm not single, I'm building my empire. Like, I remember seeing that meme and being like, what does that even mean? Like, ah. <laughs> um, but I get, I get that people think that empires are something really, really cool. But I want to go into a little bit more of why God doesn't call his, his, he doesn't have like the empire of God. He calls it the kingdom of God. And when we look at the term empire, empire refers to a political unit made up of several territories and peoples, usually created by conquest and divided between a dominant center and a subordinate in subordinate peripheries. So if we think of like the Roman Empire, it was based, you know, mostly in Rome, but it spread almost far and wide across um, Europe and Asia and the Middle East, everything there. And empires are all about acquisition. They're all about taking land. They're about conquest. And they are all about power and control. Anything, I mean, especially if you read in the Bible about the Roman Empire during Jesus's time, it was about power and control. If you did not do what they wanted you to do or pay the taxes that they wanted you to pay towards the Roman Empire, you were, you know, either they took your daughter or your son or your donkey or <laughs> your, or they brought you into prison or they just killed you. Um, <clears throat> but they had to maintain that power and control to, re- to keep their empire going, Right. And then empires are all about self when it comes to the emperor. It, they, most emperors, I was looking through a few different empires, the Persian Empire, the Roman Empire, uh, there was another one that I was, I think the Greek Empire as well. They, all of these emperors, they usually start off like, yeah, we're going to do great things for the people. It's all for the people. And then over time, They like to elevate themselves, and then they start making up their own genealogy that they go back to this God or this, you know, some way to where they get worshipped as a God. And that's when they start to require the people in their empire to start worshipping them. And empires are about doing life the emperor's way, doing life for yourself. Um, and then I wanted, looking into kingdom, the definition I found in, I don't, I didn't write the, the whole, where it came from, but I found it on the internet, so it has to be true, right? Um, <laughs> I swear it was a little bit better than that. Um, but a kingdom is a politically organized community or major territorial unit having a monarchical, that word, Form of government headed by a king or a queen. And every definition, I went through many of them to just kind of make sure that they were all congruent with each other. Every single one of them talked about the kingship of God. And it talked about the realm in which God's will is filled. So pretty much you don't get kingdom without God. There is no kingdom without like the one true God 
being in that definition. Uh, as well as you don't get kingdom without covenant or family. Since there's a king and there's a queen, it's a family, and that kingship or queenship is passed down through lineage in a family. In an empire, you just conquer the guy, you just kill the guy, and then you get the, the empire, right? But in a kingdom, you get king and queen, and their lineage is passed down, or the kingship is passed down through family. You also don't get kingdom, and especially God's kingdom, without relinquishment. And in God's kingdom, we're asked to lay down our lives. In God's kingdom, we're called into servanthood. In God's kingdom, we are to worship the one true God. And as I was standing up here, when I told you to shake off shame and shake off all of that condemnation, that is relinquishment. We're supposed to empty ourselves and to step into the worship of the one true God. And God's kingdom is God's way of doing life. It's not just a bunch of rules or laws or, you know, statutes that he's asking us to keep and to live by. The reason that he gives us his kingdom and he set up his kingdom on this earth is because he wants good for us. He's so good, he wants good for us, right? It's not just about keeping the rules so we look good. It's because he knows what is good for us. So... You may be wondering why I took you to David and Uriah and Bathsheba. And like, I know when I first read that story, I didn't see what I saw this time. I've read that story many, many times in my walk with God. But when I read it, thinking about what me and my little girls had talked about the week before about kingdoms and empires, it had a whole new light to me. Um, So if you know anything about King David, he came from the sheepfold to the kingship. Right? There was a long journey all between that when he was anointed king and getting chased around by Saul. But God had established covenant with David very early on. And he told Samuel when before he anointed him, like, I'm looking for Jesse's son, David, the man after my own heart. And God, when he finally was anointing David, you know, he said that my line will, or you will always have a, a a son on your throne. So throughout time, you will always, your, your throne will be established or your, your um, kingship will be established. And if we know anything, David, or David was, or Jesus was in the lineage of David. So he, God blessed him with wives. He blessed him with riches. He blessed him with land and favor and fame throughout all of the world. And he, he gave him favor in the battle, on the battlefield, over and over and over again. But in this story, something is, starts off, something's off, right? So it says in 11.1, yeah, the, so this, it happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle. Well, where was the king? He was back in Jerusalem, and he was not where he should have been, right? David was king, but he wasn't being kingdom-minded. David was not where he was supposed to be. 
He was not doing things the kingdom way, God's way. And from there, the story just gets worse. Like, it could not get worse. Like, it's just like, good night, David. Like, wake up. But he just, I mean, he sleeps with Bathsheba. He tries to, like, he's lying to Uriah. Come, come here. Like, you know, how's the battle going? And then he's giving him food and all of this stuff to try and cover up what he did. And then ultimately, he gives, this is the worst part, he gives the orders for Uriah to be killed on battle. He gives it to Uriah to carry to Joab. And like, I heard somebody talk about this once. Like he deemed Uriah such an honorable man that Uriah didn't even look at his own letter. He didn't even look at his own, you know, actual contract for him being murdered. Um, Not only did he have not the kingdom in his mind, I want to say that he had traded the kingdom for his own empire. So if we think about that empire, keep in mind that that is about self. That is about acquisition. That is about power and control. David was, I mean, definitely walking that road over and over and over again. He destroyed a family. He destroyed the ki- that kingdom, which is established in family, right? Um. David traded kingdom for empire. That's what he did. He was all about the acquisition. He was all about making himself look good, you know? And I, the funny thing is, like, man, a, God, a man after God's own heart, he didn't even fathom that God saw everything that was happening, everything that he did. Um, he wasn't kingdom-minded. He didn't even have that thought in his head that God knew what was going on, what he did. So I want to talk about a little bit about Uriah, and he's probably somebody that maybe you've read the story and you didn't really know who he was. Uriah was named as one of David's mighty men. There was about 37 of them, and David's mighty men were his protectors. They were his armor bearers. They were his kind of secret service around him. And for years, I want to say years, he, David, ran around with Uriah and all these other men, and they lived in caves. They fought battles, and they were a close-knit group of guys. So I have to say that I think Uriah and David were pretty close to each other. They weren't just like, you know, uh, you know uh, acquaintances. Was what I was the word I was trying to look for. They weren't acquaintances. They were friends. They were, they did battle together. And I've never, of course, been in the military or anything like that. But the stories I've read, when you do battle with somebody, there is a connection that you have with that person that's probably deeper than just, hey, bud, we're pals. Um, So it just makes what David did to Uriah even worse. Um, But Uriah was where he was supposed to be. He was on the battlefield. He was kingdom-minded. He was doing, he was fighting for a king who wasn't acting like a king, first off. And when he got called back, I'm sure he was like, what is, why, why, why am I being called out of battle? What do you want? <laughs> and he didn't go to his house that night. He probably hadn't seen his wife for months and months, maybe even a full year. Who knows? Maybe years. I'm not sure. But he didn't even go to see his wife. He slept in the servants or with the servants at the doorpost of the king's house. Uh, 
David or Uriah was kingdom minded. And when David asked him, like, what the heck? Why didn't you go see your wife? You haven't seen her forever. He's like, my God, the Ark of the Covenant, that was representative of what, where God's presence was, was still out on the battlefield. My army, my comrades were still out on the battlefield. I cannot be here. I should not be here. This is not where I need to be. I'm kingdom minded. I want to do things God's way. Uh, and if we're talking about the kingdom, remember that relinquishment, Uriah laying down his life, ultimately giving his life, fighting for a king that was all about his empire and not the kingdom of God. So I go there because what we are continually hit with today is doing God's kingdom, doing life God's way, living in God's kingdom, or going with our own empire, building our own empire and ourself. And if that sounds what I was talking about with the empire, the definition of empire, conquest, power, control, fear, um, worship of self, does that not sound like Satan's empire, right? From the very beginning of time, Satan has been out for the kingdom of God. God established his kingdom with Adam and Eve. He built a family there. He gave them all authority, power, and dominion of this earth. And he told them to be fruitful and multiply. He was building and establishing his kingdom through a family right from the very start. And oh my gosh, did Satan hate that, correct? Right? He always desired to be worshiped. So when Adam and Eve sinned, that was his slip in there to start establishing his empire. And does he care? Does Satan care for any of his, I, I wouldn't even call them his kids. They are his minions. He doesn't care for them. He doesn't care for us. He hates us. He wants us dead. He wants to destroy family. Have we seen that in our modern time? He wants to destroy family. He wants to destroy us. He cares nothing for his minions. He only cares for himself in that worship of self. And how many times do we step into that in our everyday life? I know I do. I know that there has been many times where it's popped up that I go my selfish self way instead of doing things God's kingdom way. And I feel like reading through this, man, God called David a man after God's own heart. This story is about people that are children of God, right? This isn't a story about a man that had never known God. This is a story of a man who fell from where God had placed him, all because of that empire mind that he had. So I believe that this is a wake-up call for us in the church. This isn't for the world. This isn't for out there. This is a wake-up call for us. We have to stop playing church and be the church to our world. We not only need to be doing devotionals, we need to be devoted. We not only need to be saying that I believe in Jesus Christ, but we actually have to be doing the things that believers do. And I've said this before, and I think I actually kind of like copied it from another minister, so I don't know, but plagiarize, right? You talk about, if you have eyes, plagiarize. 
But <laughs> complaining about the world is Satan's language. It is what I think he I think it's Chris Ballatin said that it's the what worship is to God complaining is that to Satan. Like he likes us to do that. And I don't know about you, in the last two years, complaining came very, very, very easy. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> right? And I mean, to the point where we probably don't even think about what we're saying, right? We don't even know that we're complaining. And God's like, I put inside of you all power and authority. When my son died on the Christ, he gave on the cross, he gave it to us to do something with, right? We are supposed to be salt. We are supposed to be light. We are supposed to be the ones that are changing this world and making an impact on this world and not being like the world, the rest of the complainers, being, bringing worship to Satan through our, our complaining, right? Jesus called that whitewashed tombs having the form of godliness and denying its power. He's talking to people in the church. He's not talking about people outside of it. We cannot be saying that we love God, but hating our brothers and sisters that we don't agree with their political stance or their vaccination status. Just going to say it, right? If we are in a family, a kingdom of God, we are not supposed to be hating our brothers and sisters, right? The Bible says that we are not to battle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and more of those big words. Um, because I can't remember what they're all saying. <laughs> this is when I should put the scripture in my notes, right? <laughs> but flesh and blood. Who has flesh and blood? People, right? People. Not just the people in church. People. God's people. He's saying flesh and blood. That pretty much lays it all out, right? That it's flesh and blood. We have to be about the Father's business, about the Father's kingdom. Denying self. Go and make disciples, build his family and his covenant, right? Be the salt and light to a dying world. So after Uriah was murdered and David took Bathsheba to be his wife, uh, I'm not going to go straight back to the scripture and read a whole another chapter to you guys like I just did, but Nathan, the prophet Nathan came to David and he set up this really cool parable, like so much wisdom. And he talked about how there was a um, there was a poor man that had this little lamb, and he loved this little lamb, and he um, treated it like a child. Like he brought it into his house, and it's, his children loved on it. And um, the lamb like ate from its table. Bailey, are you in here? Like, do you have any lambs that do any of that? <laughs> Somebody's pointing over there. <laughs> um, but then there, so there was the poor man that had the lamb, and there was a traveler that came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So he killed the lamb. And David got mad when he heard this. And he was like, go find that man that did that and bring him in here. And he needs to be, he needs to die. And Nathan is like, you're that man. You are the man that took the lamb and murdered him. And David, right away, it was like his eyes were opened. It was all of a sudden that he saw God's kingdom. He saw the, God's way 
was not what he was living in. His, his empire was starting to crumble when he realized that he was that man. And the cool thing here, and I love this part of the story, is it says that David repented. David actually, he totally knew what he had done. And the, the part that it, I, I, know, I know that's so powerful that he repented and that he was turning away from empire-minded into God's way, but there's still consequences for his, his mistake. And his, well, not, I don't even want to call it a mistake. It was a sin. He knew exactly what he was doing. Um, and in that, he, his, the son that he had with Bathsheba died. Uh, there is a toll for trading the kingdom for the empire. But repent, repenting and chasing after God's kingdom gives God the ability to bring about something absolutely beautiful. And if we know, if you've read farther into that, that, like I said before, Jesus came from David's lineage and through Bathsheba's lineage as well. He turned that around and made something beautiful. And I was telling Lynette in there, I was like, but what about Uriah? Like, the man who was so dedicated, so honorable, who laid down his life for the king and the kingdom. And I was telling her, I was like, you know, I don't know, I, didn't, I don't find anything else in the Bible that talks about Uriah besides him just being named as one of God's, or one of David's mighty men. But then I know a family who is naming their little boy Uriah. And he's in her womb right now, and he has a plan, and Uriah's legacy is still carrying on. And guess what? We're still talking about him today, right? We have nothing ever bad to say about Uriah because he was a man that actually was about the kingdom and about laying his life down for the king and the kingdom. Um, so I have an example of what this kingdom-minded looks like in modern times. Um, I know of a, a man of a cowboy who he had a very or had a very successful career and at the height of his career he was offered a seven figure contract and that seven figure contract for a sponsorship was with a smokeless tobacco company and it was more money than he had ever probably just he he was just given it like for doing good, this is what you get. He didn't have to win it. He was just actually given it. And if you know anything in the rodeo world, that doesn't happen very often. <laughs> um, but he looked at that contract, and he looked at what that company was all about. And if you know anything about smokeless tobacco, it is chewing tobacco. It is spit and gross and all the things. All you men that do that is gross. <laughs> and... And he even chews, so I can't even say that he was a hypocrite in saying that. But he did not want that attached to his name. He didn't want to set an example for younger kids knowing that that was, you know, attached to his name. Because for the money, yes, the money was good, but he didn't want to do that. He prayed about it. He just did not feel that God released him to take that seven-figure contract. And so he relinquished it. He told them no. And come the, uh, just a, two months later, there was a law that was passed 
in our country that said that no smokeless tobacco or cigarette company could sponsor athletes. So that contract that he would have entered into would have been null and void out of it. And just to say, that was my husband that did that. (laughs) And I asked him if I could say that, and he was like, it's really not that big of a deal. I was like, to me, babe, that was a big deal. And I don't know where our family would be if he would have taken that. He would have had to trade a different, very honorable company that was sponsoring him for that other company. And he would have, yes, the money would have been great, but we wouldn't have gotten it ever. And so I just honor you with that, babe, because that was (laughs) kingdom-minded. God wants the best for our lives. That's why he set up his kingdom. He is good. He wants good for us. It's not about a bunch of rules. It's not a bunch about just doing it and looking godly. It's about actually being holy and being set apart. That's what his kingdom's about. And sometimes, all the time, really, that looks completely opposite of the way that the world wants to take us, right? But we are his sons and daughters. He set up a family in his kingdom. He set up a covenant in his kingdom, and we are in that. We are promised eternal life through Jesus Christ through our belief and our um, our following of Jesus Christ is actually doing it, not just saying it, right? And that's why Jesus, on his three and a half years on this planet, or on his, well, he was here longer than that. He, in his three and a half years on his ministry on this planet, he talked about kingdom a lot. Believe me, I looked it up in the concordance. I was like, oh, I'll just look up a few scriptures to kind of reference on here. I was like, oh my gosh, there's hundreds. He talked about it so much. And the cool part is when Jesus died and went to heaven, he gave us Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is kind of like our cheater in helping us do things God's way because I've had Holy Spirit talk to me all the time when I'm about to do my empire-mindedness, right? Like, he's there. He's speaking to us. Sometimes our self, our flesh is just louder, and we need to be listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And just know that you're not condemned to hell when you sin because David sinned, sinned a lot with that. And he was still, he still repented and God brought the Messiah through his lineage, right? Um, so I want to leave you with one more scripture. Um, we're going to turn to 1 Peter 2, 9, 2, 9. 1 Peter 2, 9. And this is what God calls us. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. That is what God calls us. That is what he has proclaimed over his people. And I just want to leave you with that is, that's what he's calling us to, to live our lives as. I know my little girls 
they don't say that they're a part of another family. They are the little Lostro girls. <laughs> they are part of our family and part of our covenant with each other. And that is what God is calling to us to be in his kingdom. We are part of his family set up. We need to start acting like it. I want my little girls to act like little Lostro girls, right? <laughs> what The way that we've set up our lives. They're not a part of this family or that family. They are our family. And we, as children of God, we carry God's name on us. And I don't know about you, but I want to act like a child of God. I want to live my life as a child of God. And it is possible. Holy Spirit is with us all of the time. We have this as our guidance every single day. Read your Bible. Spend time with God. Pray. Ask him the way that you need to go because he will give it to you. He will show you. It may not sound like you think or look like the way that you should. He may not talk to you in an audible voice. But the more you spend time with him, the more you know how he wants you to live your life and the way that he wants you to go. So I want to pray over us today. And you guys will get to the buffet early because I talk fast. So, (laughs) But Father God, I just thank you so much for this people. I thank you that you established your kingdom in a family. We are not your minions. We are not just your slaves. We are not your slaves, Father. We are children of the Most High King, God. And you call us out of darkness. You call us into your light, Father. And you give us Holy Spirit to walk in your ways and to know your ways, Father, and to have revelation of what your word says, God. We just pray that. I proclaim that over these people, God, that they would know that they are a child of the Most High King, that his kingdom is not a kingdom that is tossed around by the culture's wars, by the climate, by the economy, by inflation of this world. Your kingdom is established, and it is established in your people, and it is founded on your son Jesus Christ and his love for the world, Father. We just pray over anybody in here, Father, that maybe they don't know if they could be called a child of God right now. Maybe they haven't made that decision to give their lives to you, Father. And I just pray over that person or persons right now, God, that if that is them, if they are sitting in here and they're like, you know, I've never, I've never given my heart to God. I've never made that decision that I'm going to lay down. I'm going to relinquish everything that I've been holding on to, and I'm going to give it to God. I'm going to surrender to his will, Father. I just pray over that person right now that they would have the courage to do that. We just thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for those people, God. Your angels say hallelujah and are having a celebration for those people, Father. Lord, if that is, if there is a person in here today that is making that decision, would they just make that known? Just stick your hand up. I want to celebrate with you. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. God, thank you for the sons and daughters that are in this house today, that we are one family, Father, and that we do not battle against flesh and bone. We do battle with flesh and bone, Father, against, against the enemy, God. And we just thank you for that. Lord, we pray that 
everyone that leaves out of this building today that they are blessed and that they have favor, God. But we just thank you more than anything, Father, that you are so good and you give us good things as a good, good Father. Father, we just praise you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you guys. Have a great day. Miss Alice.